Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Everyone, you are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast. I am Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Brooke Destra, and we have our most favorite Monday special guest, Brooke. I'll let you introduce her. Well, this is a lady who needs no introduction. <laughs> it is the wonderful, my favorite girl, Taryn Hatcher. Taryn, how are you doing this week, girlfriend? I'm better after that intro. I feel so special now. <laughs> You're welcome. Like we refer to Monday right now. It's just like flyers. It's more like a Taryn compliment situation right now. I'm we here be, for it. We all I'm here to, to gas you up always. I'm here. I'm here to talk about the flyers, but also mainly to just be showered with compliments. <laughs> Thanks, I love guys. it. We all need it. We all need it on this uh, dreary Monday. Uh, but as the flyers all season picks up, we still have. Uh, plenty to talk about. And uh, speaking of some things to talk about, Bill Daly, NHL Deputy Commissioner, had plenty to talk about with Taryn uh, in, a, in a one-on-one interview. A great interview talking various topics, various hot topics going into next season. Many questions that need to be answered uh, before the season starts at that target date of January 1st. Let's first get into a few things that Bill Daly had to say to Taryn, and then we'll hit on uh, those hot topics. When would you like to see training camps uh, open up here? Because it's, it's nearly November, and then there's one month, and then it's January. So when would you hopefully like to see these teams back to camp? I know it's hard to answer, but well, ideally in your mind. I, I mean, I think if, if you work back from, um, you know, a January 1st start date, you know, what we had contemplated with the Players Association was a 14-day formal training camp period. Um, we've talked with the Players Association about uh, potentially having a conditioning camp uh, or allowing our clubs to have a conditioning camp uh, for kind of seven to nine days prior to that time. So I, I could see, uh, you know, players reporting to camp sometime in early December if everything was going uh, according to plan uh, or according to our hopes anyway. Um, so that, that's the way I'd view it, you know, in, in basically the month leading up to, uh, whenever we start, uh, the regular season, uh, I would hope to be starting camp. And so you can see, uh, it'll be unique, um, again, uh, you know, uh, training camp around, uh, around the holidays. What are the thoughts when it comes to potentially using bubble cities once again? Have you gotten any response from players on, the feasibility of something like that based off of their experience already within, within a bubble? Well, I think, I think it's safe to say what I can say with certainty there is we're never going to conduct uh, an NHL regular season uh, in the same way as we 
um, conducted the, the conclusion of last season, the playoff tournament. Um, you know, that was two and a half months and it, it probably uh, it was a tad too long uh, in the sense of, 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 you know, keeping players away from their families and, and interacting with the outside world. It, it, was, a, it was an unbelievable commitment uh, by not only by our players, by our club staff, by our league staff to be away from home and be away from family for as long as they, they were uh, with no outside interaction. Uh, so it was a, it was a tough ask, and everybody everybody did their part to make it a success. But I don't think we'll ever ask for that again. Um, so, you know, you're not going to see what you saw in Edmonton and Toronto again. Uh, but you know, certainly one possibility is is to modify a bubble approach uh, in ways that we can conduct regular season games safely, uh, hopefully safely. Um, and uh, with limited interaction and limited uh, uh, or, or, or certainly ways to mitigate risk of infection. Um, so those are all things that are part of the mix in terms of what we have to decide uh, for next season. Um, the first thing, and this is just coming back to me in chronological order from the actual conversation, was I had asked about the feasibility of doing a bubble again. He had said multiple times that uh, – you know, a lot of what's going to happen will depend on city and state regulations, a lot like we're seeing with NFL right now. You'll remember that Pennsylvania had allowed fans, but then Philly hadn't made a decision on it like that yet. And then Philly decided to allow fans. So like where the Steelers could have fans at one point, the Eagles technically couldn't. Things like that they will have to deal with. Um, and once we really got that ball rolling, I asked, you know, so is there a possibility we'll see a bubble at all this season? It seems like that's not something you guys are, are trying to do, really. And he sort of acknowledged, and, and I thought it was very interesting that he acknowledged that, no, while the bubble they felt like was a massive success and they were so thrilled they could pull it off as effectively as they, as they did and have a really competitive postseason, um, the words straight out of his mouth, as you guys heard, were, you know, it maybe went on a little too long which is new. We have, I've talked to a lot of coaches. I've talked to a lot of players and you, you can read their body language, but everybody's kind of towed the company line here of, you know, just talk about how they kept you guys healthy and everybody played and you were able to pull it off. And I think everybody was grateful to be able to have a postseason and have something to come back to. Um, and that everybody was able to stay healthy uh, that being said, it was interesting to hear somebody from the league themselves say, we did realize that that maybe it got to be a bit difficult for these people because it did go on for, what, two and a half plus months. Um, so that was really interesting to me. The other thing that stuck out, you know, we kept on talking about, like you mentioned, that target January 1st date. And so when you sit there and try to do the math backwards and you're like, well, when will training camp start? Uh, and out of his mouth, it was ideally if everything goes well, and we all know how the world has been this year. So there's, you know, there's no guarantees of anything. Uh, you could be looking at early December, essentially a month from now, we could have hockey back. So you could have players in camp. And then as you heard, he broke it down and, and I don't want to repeat everything he said in terms of what those preseason camps will look like week by week. But um, yeah, it's wild to think that we could have hockey back this quickly uh, and just 
I mean, we touched on it in the interview. The one thing that I think is hard to digest sometimes because obviously everybody has a ton of other things going on in the world. But when you're looking at these leagues now, you're trying to balance between scheduling in general, which is difficult, scheduling with NBA, which is difficult. Both leagues are going to have to have flexibility this year, which is entirely new. Like that's not a thing that they've had to have before, at least not night in, night out. And then you're also going to have to deal with state regulations that are completely new and different from city to city, plus players' personal lives and really hearing and listening what they need and what they feel safe with. Um, But I think the one thing that we've seen is we've seen baseball have positives, we've seen football have positives, and we've seen both those leagues react and adjust to them. It'll be interesting to see with hockey – Football, it's easier to reschedule games because you only have one a week. I know it's not incredibly easy period to do, but right now there's no other sports on. And other than obviously postseason baseball, but they're essentially like they get the prime time uh, airtime and there's a lot of flexibility for them. When you're talking about baseball playing, or sorry, excuse me, uh, hockey playing at the same time, basketball's playing at the same time as football late in the season is playing and college football is playing will be it will be interesting to see how these flexibility situations pan out not just with the leagues and venues but with security and health measures and television broadcasting and you know and that's kind of what bill said he was like a lot of questions man the more we get answers the more we have questions but i think they just try to handle what they can control. We see the same approach from Chuck Fletcher. There's always, there's a million questions. There's a few of them I can answer. So I'm going to answer those first and then I'll figure out the rest. Seems like a good approach. Yeah, it really reminded me a lot of kind of uh, the beginning stages of the pause uh, where there was just so much, it was so much wait and see and it, it had to be. It had to be a wait and see situation and wait for things to develop and see where we are a week from now, two weeks from now, three weeks from now. Um, but it's nice to hear that great information from Bill Daly, Taryn, that you got just on some really important dates. Uh, Brooke, one of the most fascinating things, and I think one of the most fascinating storylines going into next season, well, obviously we're focused on the health and safety of everyone, how they can actually get these games in, how will they be played, where. Um, but for me, the fan aspect is huge. And I thought that was great to hear from Bill Daly, how he basically said it could be an NFL type of situation where, you have the fans in some markets in the building. You'll have some with no fans. Um, fans drive this whole thing. They drive the revenue in the league. They drive the f- organizations and what how much they make. I think that's one of the biggest questions for, for the NHL going into this. But what do you think of the whole aspect of fans in the building? And um, would you agree that's probably one of the bigger questions going into next season? It definitely is going to be – one of the bigger ongoing conversations leading up to whenever the start is. I, I don't want to be a party pooper, but I guess I'm going to poop on some parties real fast. Um, I just genuinely don't like the fact that fans have been at some NFL games. It's just like based off of, and again, like it's just, it's one scenario, but, the Eagles game last week when there was the fight that broke out in the stands and the video went viral and groups were intermingling and no masks were on. And that just, that makes me nervous. 
um, just because, you know, something so small can happen and it's a domino effect, you know, who knows what could happen next? What, like, what are the procedures if something bad goes wrong? Um, listen, I am with everybody right now in the fact that I miss being at live events. I have missed being at hockey, ha hockey games and being with media so much the past uh, few weeks. Like it's October. It's late October. We should be at Wells Fargo Center right now getting ready for games, but that's not, that's not the case right now. Um, I just think certain precautions really do need to be set in stone and it does have to be handled in a really, really clear and concise way if that's ever a possibility. Who knows down the line, things could get a little better and fans could be here because again, this is a week to week progression. By the time January comes around, it could be a completely different ball game or hockey game. Um, <laughs> that was such a bad pun. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yikes. Um, oof. But yeah, that's kind of just where my mind frame is right now. Just I think about the safety of others, but I am just with everybody else right now. And the fact that I, desperately miss live events i'll never take them for granted for the rest of my life um yeah it's it's interesting i just want everyone to be safe yes that's that's that should be the grand the grand picture everyone should be safe uh health and safety should come first uh but i'm with you and i think all three of us we we miss live events we miss going to the games being around it being around each other um absolutely but i think Taryn, do you get the sense that the NHL is really going to be diligent and uh, and very cautious in how they go about fans in the building? It, it sounded like Bill Daly even said they're going to have their own safety protocol, kind of overlaying the uh, the general the um, certain local market and what and what they yeah. allow. It sounds like the NHL is really going to do their homework here. Yeah, I think. Um what I kind of took away from him with that is that they will have to adhere. The first step is let's figure out the local regulations. We want to make sure we adhere to those. And then the second step is them also formulating their own health and safety regulations in addition to that. So nothing that would negate what already exists locally, but if anything, it would add another layer of protection um, to for fans that are, that are going to see games. And I, you know, and I totally get what Brooke's saying. I, I think it's just, it's got to be hard for, well, it's hard for everybody in every facet of their life right now, but for the league to figure out, hey, like we do, we do have to figure out this revenue situation with fans getting into the building. We also don't want to seem, you know, crass or inconsiderate or anything else. It, it's a lot like, I mean, I live in the city. I'm out at restaurants, like at least once a weekend, indoor or outdoor, obviously the indoor regulations are so much tighter than outdoor. So I would imagine it would be similar to that where anytime that you're doing anything, mask is on, you can't, you know, I, I know the link is like, you, you can't eat on the concourse. You can't drink your beer on the concourse. You have to go to your seat, sit down. That's the only time you can like take your mask off and eat or drink, uh, et cetera. So I'd imagine it'd be like that, but even tighter because you're inside. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. And the other thing is that's tough. And I get it's tough for people right now with just going out and eating is that if you're, if you're eating outdoors, right. And you feel like 
you're six feet apart from everybody and you're trying to follow safety precautions and whatever, but you want to support your local businesses and you also just want to go out and do things, you still get people who just walk down the sidewalk right next to your table with no mask on, coughing and seizing and everything else. And, and Brooke's right in that sense that it's, I think you're going to have a lot of fans as well who sit there and say, oh, I really want to go, but do I really want to go? And that's going to be an interesting thing that everybody's going to have to deal with. And are people going to be more or less comfortable because this is a winter sport and it's flu season. I mean, I know last year from being with the team, a nasty flu bug that I got myself. I think almost everyone on the broadcasting crew got, I know JJ got it as well. Um, got really, really sick with the flu last year. And it, it like, it ran through everyone so quickly and was so bad that it had Matt Niskanen sit out a game. And we know Matt Niskanen didn't set out anything forever. Like, yeah. so the, there's a lot of questions there, but I think all of the questions that we're asking out loud right now, the NHL has been sitting there and trying to plan for it for weeks and months. So we'll see. I mean, I, I'm honestly, I'm just really like, I need hockey back. Like I just need, (laughs) I need it back. So I'm like, Oh, I just, you know, and you don't ever want to sound, you know, selfish or anything else, but it's true. It's, it's amazing when all these sports came back, I think how much everybody's lives felt like they picked up again, you know, even more than, than restaurants or bars or whatever being open uh, when the sports came back, and you had that, that thing to talk about with your friends in your group chat. It just made your life feel more normal. It wasn't like May and then second May and then third May. It was like, okay, we're in training camp and then we're in the round robin and then we're in the, the first round and the second round, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, I just, I give those guys a tremendous amount of credit because this is not easy maze to navigate right now. At Nissan, we just made your choice for a new car and easier one than ever with our most exciting and fuel efficient lineup. The choice is yours. Now get great offers across our full line. Shop at your local Nissan store today at NissanUSA.com. Speaking of how much we really just missed the Wells Fargo Center, being around Flyers fans, being around the building and the energy uh, that the games provide, uh, it really had us thinking last year was an incredibly fun season for Flyers fans and for us to be a part of because they were so darn good at home. They were the best team uh, at home in the National Hockey League. Uh, so let's reminisce a little bit, guys, and we'll start with Brooke. We're going to talk about our favorite home moments from last year, and there was a lot to pick from. We know how good they were at, the, at that building. Brooke, what was your favorite moment from 2019-20 at home? Oh, man. <laughs> I, I friggin' miss the Wells Fargo Center. Yes. <laughs> Um, I do have two that really stood out. Um, the first being the night that Oscar Lindblom was back in the building after, for the first time after being diagnosed um, with you and sarcoma. And it was the Oscar strong night and the standing ovation. And I just remember having absolute chills throughout my whole body because it was one of those just raw human feelings in the sense of it's bigger than a sport it's it's such a community with the nhl because it is the smallest essentially the smaller league in um across the four major sports and everyone knows everybody and it doesn't matter who your rival is at the end of the day it's 
being a human, like being a decent human being. And I just remember that ovation and then seeing him on the screen, it was just, you were, you, you couldn't help but be overcome with emotions because just given the circumstances and all of that, it was just a really kind of emotional moment. And, you know, now looking back and after he came back in the playoffs to play a few games with his team, it was just what an incredible turnaround. So that was the first one because, oh my gosh, I, I'll never forget that night. Yeah. Um, and then also the first home game of the season when they hosted the Devils. Well, technically it was their second home game since the one in Prague counted as home. Um, I don't want anybody fact checking me after this <laughs> podcast is released. Cause I know there will be some, Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but I just remember, I remember looking to you in the press box, Jordan. And I was like, I cannot remember the last time it was this loud in here Yeah, because Hart got his first career NHL shutout. Um, Chris Stewart, you know, dropped the gloves. He, he really brought that energy. He was like, all right, I'm a flyer. I'm going to make these fans love me real fast. And I just, again, it was another one of those moments where I was like, this season is going to feel so different compared to the last few. And yeah, now I'm in my bag. I'm upset. I miss, (laughs) I miss live events. Oh, but yeah, those, those are two of my favorites for sure. I love it. I feel bad for asking this question because I feel like I'm I'm upsetting both of you guys. But these are happy happy um, emotions, right? Uh, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, but no, yeah, Brooke, Jordan I, I, finds Jordan finds joy in yes. hurting our feelings. Yes. <laughs> and I remember, um, yeah, that that home opener, the, te- the technical home opener, obviously was as you said in Prague. But the first game at the Wells Fargo Center that was a fun one. And man, it seems like that was so long ago. I remember that was also Wayne Simmons' return to the Wells Fargo uh-huh. Center. And that mm-hmm. was really cool to see the ovation he got. But I, I do remember that was a real fun game. And gosh, the Oscar Lindblom won. I, like you said, I don't think anyone will forget that. I, I remember seeing that standing ovation um, and everyone holding up the cards and everything. Uh, I don't think we will ever forget that moment. Uh, Taryn, let's go to you. What, do you. what are you picking for your favorite home moment? Well, Brooks were so like emotional and moving, and mine's like <laughs> Brad Martian whiffing on a shootout. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, I completely forgot about that until that is now. Game. That was the best game ever. I just remember getting so many text messages. So I think they were down like three one, and then five two. Like they were down in that game a lot, and I got so many text messages from people because at that point in the season, the Flyers were kind of hitting their stride. And I was like, dude, you guys are wrong. Like this team is good. And I had said this, and I will always point this out to people because I want credit specifically me, Taryn Nicole Hatcher. I would like credit. I said at the end of last what, what, season, what was your middle name? I said at Nicole, I said, <laughs> I said at the end of last season that this was a much better team than they played. And that I thought they actually, when they played their, their best, the, um, assortment of talent they had in that dressing room 2018 2019 season was good enough to make the playoffs maybe not make a run but they were good enough to make the playoffs they were just in such a tough situation coach wise gm wise obviously goaltender wise etc so i had been singing the praises of this flyers team and i know i'm incredibly biased because i'm constantly around the guys and i think they're really good guys and even when scott gordon was there last year it just was an awesome situation to be like that room is a great room to be around and then this year, I was like, you, you guys, you got to believe, especially um, – I'm trying to think if that Bruins game was before or after the Caps uh, – the Caps-Bruins 
Blues Lightning run where they won three out of four of those games. And it was like, oh my God, this team's really good in January before the uh, All Star break. But, um, and then during that game, that game against the Bruins itself, sorry, we're going off on so many tangents. I got so many texts from people that were like, I thought you said this team was going to like make a run in the playoffs. They're down 5 2. They look terrible. All this stuff. And people turned it off. And then the next day, we're like listening to talk sports radio. And it's like, oh, how about them flyers? How about Marshand and his whiff? And they were like, what happened? And I was like, you didn't believe. And that's what you get for being a fool. Because you should have just stayed watching. I told you, this team fights. Uh, but that game was wild. And then Travis Sandheim, who is actually, like, sneaky funny in real life, especially when he's around Travis Konechny, like, the Travi together are very funny. Um, but in interviews, he just gets so dry, like, so fat. I, I don't really get much out of him ever. Um, and we got him on the bench right after the shootout. And he was just laughing through this interview. I was like, for this game to go down like that, and this to be how it ends, especially given that it's Brad Marchand who whiffed on the puck before he ever even skated towards the net. What is going on in your brain right now? And he was just like laughing. And it was, you could just feel, it was just like, wow. Like we did that. And also Brad Marchand did that. Yeah. (laughs) That was a great time. Iconic. Yeah, that was a... A, just a sick night. I feel like a lot of the home games before the pause too, like any of them really, um, as, as the, all the home games after the NHL all-star break until the pause, it was very different. Like the city, I think started to recognize that the flyers might be the best team in the city right now. Yeah. And people who, hadn't come to Flyers games in quite a few years, all of a sudden we're going. And you just got a different um, kind of wave of excitement from people that I hadn't experienced in 2018, 2019, or at the beginning of last season in terms of people just really believing in this team and believing in that they were good and believing that AV should have won the Jack Adams and believing that a guy can go down and you've got three other guys who can step up in his place. Um. So there was that. And then obviously the night Oscar came back uh, when after his diagnosis that night was like just unbelievable. And then I remember my producer, Brian Cooper told me we have a shot of Oscar up in the booth. And then we have a shot of him getting a standing ovation. And we're going to basically have you do like a mini pack, like mini package voicing it live. And I generally take notes, but I don't write out scripts when I'm on air. Um, Cause I just do better that way. And I just remember being like, don't cry on air. Don't cry on air. Don't cry on air. Because <laughs> you see him and he's up there and he waves. And then you see like all these like big guys that are just like in the stands crying and clapping. And I was like, oh my God, please don't <laughs> And I didn't cry, but I got close. I was going to say, I don't remember you crying, but I, 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 didn't. I don't, I wouldn't blame you. For I'm being still like- soulless and dead inside as ever. I was tearing up. I was like, suck it up. Suck yeah, it up. Right. <laughs> I'm just like, this is such a moving moment. And I, and I just hear like, three, two, and go. And I'm like, <clears throat> yeah, we're back at the Wells Fargo Center. Something in my Everything's eye. fine. Must have been a fly. I'm yeah. glad, Tara, I'm glad you brought up uh, the interview with Travis Sandheim on that Marshawn uh, whiff. Because I, I wanted to ask you where you were at that when it happened. Like, where were you and just how loud was the building? 
I was in NBA one. So people, if you ever see me at a game, um, if you want me to stop doing these like behind the broadcast things, I will happily do it. But uh, when you see me at a game where I stand, you'll notice at the end of every period, unless the flyers are losing by quite a few goals, I head back with like three minutes left into the visiting NBA locker room, which is where my studio setup is. So when you see me do intermission interviews, that's in that studio in the NBA visiting locker room. I always go back there. We have a TV back there um, because I need to be able to either get to the bench very quickly, or they bring a player to me in the studio for the interview post game. So we're in NBA one and it's me and Brooke Gnosis because she used to stand in there with me and hang out with me during games and like good times help me with everything that I did. She's amazing. Um, it'd be like me and Flyers PR and then all these Flyers interns like crouched like this, watching this tiny little like eight by 11 TV, just like this. And then we're, we're all looking at each other and we're like, what just, what happened? And none of us understood for a second. We were like, what happened? And I, I have to listen to JJ's call again on it. We hear JJ and and he's just like, he waves on the puck. And I'm like turning around because I have IFB. So nobody else has sound. So I have the IFBs and I'm like, he waved. He wants to talk everyone. He waved. I was like a newsboy on a corner, like 1920s. (laughs) He waved on the puck. And, uh, yeah, it was wild. It was like it was like the ball dropping on New Year's Eve. We were all like, ah! and then I had to run out to the bench, and all the players are coming down the tunnel at me, and I'm like John Snow, like trying to like fight for normal. Oh my god! Now I'm like, give me Sandheim, give me Sandheim. Yeah, that and is- then I it took everything in me not to like laugh through the whole interview as well. I was just like, this is nuts. But yeah, the magnitude of that comeback and the way it, it was punctuated with. Of all players, Brad Marchand whiffing on the puck, like Boston, Philly. Uh, that, that was just insane. Like like you said, another game that you don't forget. And well, it's they, okay. were, they were the perfect line, and they had yeah. been, like, number one in the league, like, more weeks than anybody else. And you're just like, oh, like, <laughs> could you be more, like, that, you yeah. know? And it became, like, a running joke throughout the rest of the season. Like, Marchand wound up tweeting after the game that he yeah. had the Stanley Cup. And I was like, okay, we're going to be petty, sir. Yeah. Really? Like, you messed up. It happens sometimes. Like, don't throw the cup in our face. Don't like make me more irritated. Someone seems upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the next time that Boston came back, it was at the end of, um, I think it was the last game that they yeah. played it before was, yeah. the shutdown. Yeah. Um, the they went to Tampa one. the next day and they lost. They were shut out, but Gritty had the one sign. Yeah, um, mocking Marchand. So it just became yeah. like this ongoing. The Flyers played good in that game too. That game that they lost, you know, nothing. They played really well that game. Like if you talk to Elaine Vino, he still remembers the game because he was like, yeah, like couldn't really be mad at him. It sucked that we lost, but couldn't. Really and they were be mad. on such a great winning streak leading up to it. Yeah, that it was yeah. like it didn't hurt that much until we found out that the season was on pause, and we were like, okay, we ended on a loss. So that was the only time when it stung just a little. Yeah. But. It was also like when we were first in the Metro for like 20 minutes that one night, that oh, was a fun yeah. night too. It that was like was the Flyers are first in the Metro. And then the Caps game ended 20 minutes later. It was like the Flyers are second in the Metro. Again. <laughs> it was fun while it lasted. I think, yeah. it was eight, I think it was like eight minutes or something. I, I have to look back. Was it? It, yeah, was it was really like short. They were. That was funny. Yeah, for it's me. So rude. This one kind of honestly falls under the radar, but I just remember it pretty vividly was the um, 
the 5-1 win over the Rangers on December 23rd. It was right before Christmas, um, right before the holiday break. And uh, that, like, like Terrence said, there was, there was definitely, like, you, if you guys remember, they were definitely struggling in attendance a little bit early in the season because, hey, last year, the previous season was a mess. Um, it was a new group. And I think Flyers fans kind of had to be won over a little bit. And I remember everyone was making a lot of, like, buzz and, um, you know, all types of things about them not having much attendance. Why are they struggling in attendance? Why aren't fans going to games? And then that December 23rd game, like, there was an electricity in the, big, in the building. And that's when it kind of hit me that, like, the Flyers fans were starting to build around this team. They were starting to, they were starting to buy in. And then, then they go out. They win 5-1. Kevin Hayes has two goals against his old team. Uh, there's obviously some New York fans in the building and uh, there was definitely a different feel in the building. And that, that one is always, I always remember that one cause it was right before Christmas and the building definitely had some jump to it. And uh, that was also Kevin Hayes' first game against the Rangers since he had been traded by the team. So yeah. um, I definitely thought that that game meant a lot more to him, but yeah, uh, that just had a different feel to it. And that's when I started feeling like the building had like a playoff feel the rest of the way to me, in my opinion. So that was one that, uh, I certainly remember, and I don't remember the attendance ever struggling after that game. Uh, fans packed the building, and they brought it every night. I was ill at home on my couch that game, so I don't actually remember the vibe. You were there? I, I forgot. Yeah, it's the only game I missed. I was I was so sick, and they, I, but I felt fine. I had no voice, and I, but yeah. I was been very very sick, and had just broadcast through it. And then I felt better, but I lost my voice. And I called oh. our producer and I called my bosses and I was like, I think I can do it. And they were like, you can't speak. Like, we can't hear you on the phone. <laughs> you can't and speak. I you was like, what? Were you at morning skate? Did I see you at that morning skate? It was like either the morning yes, skate. Because I was dead set on like, working that day. Dog. And I was like, oh, she doesn't have a I, <laughs> They told me, and the team doctor, one of the team doctors, Sal, was like, stop talking. Stop talking to people. Stop. <laughs> stop. Stop doing interviews. Like, and I, I was like, do you know me? Like, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, but they like, everybody had given me these teas. And I was just like, I feel fine. It's just my, my vocal cords. Yeah. And Sal was like, then stop speaking to people. Like, stop it. <laughs> and I remember I had to miss it. And I was so mad because the Flyers had been struggling up till that point. And that was kind of one of those games where they're like, we need to go out on the, like before the holiday break on a high note. Like we, we need that. And then they did. And then they came back from holiday break and then they just played terrible. on yep. the West Coast. Oh, that West Coast road trip haunts me. Every and I was single sick season. as a dog during that West Coast road trip too. And I was just like, Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I, I missed the, the one good game in the past two weeks. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that but that's the thing is like you, you start to realize, um, when you're on the road with these guys a lot, and, and I'm sure both of you know it because you're in the locker or in the dressing room at practice, the same thing, is you start to realize how much players feel just like fans feel, where they're just like, oh, man, I didn't get a point in the one game that we won in the last two weeks. Like, that is so bogus. That, like, that is the vibe. And you'll just be on the West Coast, be like, how's, you know, how's it going? And they're like, not great, Taryn. It's not going great. Like, I'm not having fun. <laughs> And you're like, okay, see you tomorrow at the game. Sorry I asked. Yeah. <laughs> My bad. I'm going to go have some wine. You should go hydrate. 
I'm gonna go crash some wine. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, but you do like. I, I sometimes I think as fans, you forget that the players aren't doing it to spite you, but like they feel exactly how you feel, and they're just right. like, yeah, Taryn, you know, it's been a terrible five days for us, and now we're gonna go to Vegas, and we're not allowed outside. And then we're, you know, going to go play in an incredibly difficult building to play in. And we haven't really been playing our best. So, yeah. you know, I'm not feeling my best. <laughs> <laughs> Flyers Talk is presented by Wells Fargo. When our communities need us, Wells Fargo is here to help. And Taryn, that's a perfect segue into our very anticipated answers to your trivia questions. Not so much trivia, but fun stories. And we had to kind yeah. of who was the culprit um, in okay. this story. So now you've had time to let it marinate. Who do you think came up with Leaning Tower of Eichel? Who did you guys think was Leaning Tower of Eichel last week? Now that you've had time to let it marinate and really think about. um, Anybody from broadcast, radio, or TV? We were all at a dinner together when this conversation happened. Well, you said it wasn't Coatsy. And that, I still can't believe that it wasn't Coatsy. (laughs) (laughs) Um... But I'm just going to go out on a whim and um, I guess I'll say Jonesy because why not? Yeah. Jordan. Yeah, I think that's a good guess. I, 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 I guess Tim Saunders, um, and I knew that was not Tim Saunders. I thought maybe a wild card would be Jim Jackson, but I'm going to go Keith Jones with Brooke as well. I, it sounds maybe like it could be a, Keith, a fun Keith Jones uh, joke there. So both of you would be correct. <laughs> it was Keith Good Jones. Job, it was Keith Jones. And we're all sitting around a, a table and we're all chatting. It, it was like one of my first dinners with all the broadcasters, my first year covering the team. And I like, I've watched Jonesy most of my life. So either playing or as a broadcaster. So I didn't want to like say anything to him, but he just thought, that he had like hit the rhetorical jackpot with this leaning tower of Eichel situation. And we're all looking at him like, that's not, doesn't sound like anything that exists in the world and no one's going to get that connection. And then we put it together. Um, but yeah, he, I don't think he would care that I told the story because he's, he's a, he's a great sport about it, but he, that's why he was like, that's why I'm a hockey broadcaster and not a writer. And then I said, but don't you have a book? And he said, you think I wrote my book? <laughs> and now my it's mom amazing. has Jonesy's book and wants me to autograph, get it autographed for her. And she got it shipped like right before COVID hit. Uh-huh. And so I haven't gotten to see Jonesy to get it signed for her. I was like, are you really going to read Jonesy's book? And she was like, yeah, I love Keith Jones. I was like, you know, Keith Jones has read Keith Jones's book. And she was like, I don't care. I'll read it and tell him what it's about. <laughs> Okay. All right. Who asked for a wine pairing for it was either mozzarella sticks or onion rings? I forget which one it was. Oh yeah. Oh. Who did you guess? Yeah. Who did I guess? I think I guessed Keith Jones. This is the one I didn't want to say just in case they get mad, but I don't think they'd get mad because they're they're a good sports. The wine pair. I remember I said something like Bill, and you were like Brooke. Does that sound like something Bill would do? And I was like, no. <laughs> so I'm embarrassed to say, <laughs> to guess anyone else. I don't so know. So it was Bill. <laughs> it was Bill. 
So awesome. Bill loves food and Bill loves wine. No and, way. And Bill loves food and Bill loves wine. And he's, he's like, I mean, Bill's always got a good order when we go out, but we literally went to like this sports bar at the hotel in Buffalo and we were ordering, like we were eating like just like fried, like fried finger food. And Bill asked the bartender, like, what pairs well with this? And the bartender was like, oh, like I'm in college down the street. I have no idea. And we were all, we were dying laughing because it's like, it's honestly like Bill is so polished. And yeah, he is. You know, he's so impressive when you meet him that it was almost like intimidating to sit there and be like, I don't know what wine pairs with anything in the world at all. Like, that's like, like Bill's in there like I think a dry bread would do well with this yeah that that's was- incredible wasn't it oh my god was it mozzarella sticks I think it was mozzarella sticks I could be wrong it, could, it was just like fried I mean when I tell you we were at a sports bar it was like being at Chickies and Pete's like mm, okay and imagine I was once a waitress at Chickies and Pete's and I just imagine someone coming up to me and being like what pairs well with like the buffalo chicken cheesesteak and I would be like <laughs> water i have no idea i have no clue i was also oh a terrible God. waitress so yeah bill yeah. and some insight into to bill and jonesy two of my favorite people both incredibly smart just gems so I'm two for two. gems yeah yeah you are yeah that's that's impressive that is hilarious so those are like you said like that broadcast you included obviously that broadcast team is you must uh, really so enjoy traveling with them yeah, it's cool, too, because, uh, like, Elaine Vigneault doesn't um, go out to eat with us as much. Like, he's kind of – when you talk to people – Cozy's a really good guy to talk to about this, but he really is, like, hockey first all the time. Like, that is him. Yeah. He's not there for the social aspect of, of things sometimes. Like, he's really focused on putting together a winning team. That being said um, – <clears throat> Sometimes Mike Yo and Ian LaPerriere are happy to go out to, to, you know, dinner with uh, the broadcast crew if it's like we have two days in a city and so there's one night you can go to dinner and then the next night in the game. Um, and they're a great – it's everybody with, that's, with that team is just a great, a great crew of people. But, yeah, we have a good time. I love those guys. They're awesome. So, yeah, yeah I put them all in my MySpace top eight. <laughs> <laughs> So before the break, when the Flyers did team photos, I asked everybody to give essentially high school superlatives to their teammates. Matt Niskanen was like most likely to win for president. Jake Voracek also got a lot of votes for most likely to win for president. Um, Most talkative was Kevin Hayes. Carter Hart was second for most talkative. Um, There were a bunch of them, most athletic, least athletic. The team very nearly unanimously voted one person for least athletic and also a different person for most likely to land in detention. Who do you think those two people were? Don't they get on Phil Myers for being bad at soccer? Is that your guess? That's my, Brooke, if you don't mind, I'm going to take Phil Myers. I believe that's a joke that he was bad at soccer. Which is shocking because Phil Myers is like naturally, like freakishly fast. Right. Right. Well, and then there was that whole, ongoing thing with why Provorov doesn't yeah. play because he did it once and he wasn't but I doubt Do that people know that teammates... story yeah I think I you... told that story right yeah it was all yeah. sorry um but I I can't see any of his teammates looking 
at Proveron and being like, yeah, you're the least athletic. athletic. Yeah. yeah. Did you he already blocked me on Twitter, so I'll say Jake Voracek. Ah, Jake blocked you on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, I was talking what about What did you trades. say? I was talking about possible trades like two years ago. <laughs> I don't think of no. Well. no. Okay, who's in detention? Tra- I'll say Travis Konechny. I feel like that's an obvious guess, so Brooke, I'm, I'm excited to hear what you have. So immediately I thought of Konechny, um, and then as a backup, I had Lawton. Mm. Just because him and Raffle are like really like prank oriented and like jokester, but out of the entire team, immediately it's Konechny. I can't wait to get the answers for those stories. Taryn Hatcher, thank you as always. Uh, Flyers fans, tweet at her your guesses because we want you to get your guesses in. But thank you so much, Taryn Hatcher. Thank you so much, Brooke Destra, as always. Special thank you to our podcast producer, Ben Barry, as well. This is the latest. Flyers Talk Podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, Flyers fans, please rate and subscribe. And we cannot wait to talk to you next time.